Good morning. If you are here in person, you received a bulletin on your way in. Would you please grab that for me? Take it out and tear along the perforation. This smaller section is for you to fill out any contact info if you're a first-time guest um, or to submit any prayer requests on the back. As a staff, we pray for these every single week. Um, And we were talking this week, if you're comfortable, we would love for you to write your name, not because we want to talk about you, but because sometimes you have prayer requests that we could actually help with or we would love to reach out for you. So you can put any prayer requests on here. And then the larger portion has notes, um, space for you to take notes, and then there are announcements on the back. My name is Mindy Schweitzer. I have been on staff here at Central Church for about three and a half years, and I oversee our college and young adults ministry. And I am really glad that you guys are here on this hot day. Has anyone else been enjoying the weather this past week? Yes, I am perpetually cold, and so I have been loving this weather. But on Friday night, when it started to dip to like 75, I literally started to shiver. So I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but I feel like I spend the whole year waiting for summer to come. But then it feels like those one and a half, two and a half, maybe three and a half months of summer, if we're lucky, are just full of fun activities. We try and get all the hobbies, all the outdoor things done in the couple months that it's actually bearable to be outside in South Dakota. However, my first year living here was actually the first summer in eight years that I spent summer in my own home. At my old job, I used to travel exclusively over the summer, and so every May I'd pack up my life, go to a remote location, and I would lead wilderness trips and missions trips, and then I'd come back to my house at the end of August. And so the first time, the first summer I was here was the first time that I got to spend a summer in my own home in a long time. And so I got really, really excited thinking about all the fun things I could finally do that I'd missed out on. And so one of the things that I decided I was going to try my hand at was gardening. Now, we weren't a big gardening family growing up, but several summers I remember my mom having a vegetable garden. However, be it lack of patience or true gardening ability, I never remember actually starting anything from a seed. We always went to the greenhouse and brought pre-sprouted plants that we would then put into the ground. So my whole experience with planting things were either things that were already alive or a pretty good number of deceased house pets. So when I started to think about gardening, it really started to blow my mind when I started to think about how weird it is. Why would I take this thing that is not yet alive and put it in the ground where it's going to die and somehow it's going to turn into this plant? that not only produces fruit that I can eat and is useful, but is also gonna make more and more seeds, further perpetuating this weird paradox of gardening, of both death and life going into the ground. So it is this paradox and this illustration that Jesus uses in our passage for this morning. And in this passage, he's gonna tell us a parable about a seed going into the ground and dying to convey two truths. 
The first is a truth about himself, and the second is a truth about his true disciples. So please turn with me to our text for today, which is John 12, verses 20 through 36. So starting in verse 20, it says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. So Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can gather together this morning to learn from it. I pray your Holy Spirit would be among us and moving in us, convicting, challenging, and empowering us to live differently as a result of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start back in verse 20 because maybe you kind of glossed over a couple of those details in that verse like I did the first few times I read it. So it says, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. This is a side note, but I would encourage all of you, as you read through scripture, don't just gloss over things like festival or Greeks without at least pausing to ask yourself, why are these such important details that they're included in the Bible? So the festival that the author John is referring to is the Passover. Remember, this is a Jewish holiday. This is the time that the Israelites set aside to remember when God spared the lives of their firstborn sons during the plagues and exodus from Egypt. So the Jews are remembering a specific time in their history when God specifically saved their children. And yet the Greeks are showing up to celebrate this? This should cause us to pause and ask why this is so important. It's kind of like this podcast that I was listening to the other day where the, uh, the speaker was talking about being the only Jewish family in his neighborhood growing up. He said that every Christmas he would look in people's windows and he'd see trees and presents, but he was just left on the outside looking in because it simply wasn't his holiday. Here the Greeks are to celebrate Passover, but it's not their holiday. What are they doing here? So these Greeks were probably what were known as what were known as God-fearers. So these were non-Jews who had an interest in the Jewish faith, but they did not fully convert by becoming circumcised. So this meant that they could only go so far into the temple. They could only have so much access to God. They were outsiders. And yet in verse 20, these Greeks approach the disciples asking to see Jesus. What is also interesting about their request is that Jesus doesn't outright acknowledge their request when he answers. 
But that does not mean that he's not giving a response. Instead, Jesus makes a really important statement about himself and then tells us this parable about the kernel of wheat. Verse 23 says, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the son of man himself to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. It's really interesting that this is how Jesus responds to these Greeks, these outsiders asking to see him. In his commentary on the book of John, Leon Morris puts it this way, plainly their coming is important. Jesus views it as evidence that his mission has reached its climax and that he is now to die for the world, Greeks included. Remember what Pastor Jeff said last week, from here on out, the rest of the book of John, minus the last chapter, takes place in the final week of Jesus's life. So Jesus is about to die and his earthly ministry is about to draw to a close. Thus, Jesus's words, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus says that unless the kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, and when he says this, he is talking about himself. The time has come, and in his death and resurrection, there is going to be a harvest of salvation for the world. I told you that in this parable, Jesus is conveying two truths, and this first truth is about himself. Jesus offers himself as a sacrifice for all. The Jews, the Greeks, the insider, the outsider, you. If you've messed up, or you're on the outside, or you feel far from God, Christ died so that you can be in. You can be a disciple. Jesus' sacrifice allows you this if you choose. His death leads to salvation for many. One seed to many seeds. Jesus died so that anyone can be saved. But when Jesus is talking about this kernel of wheat going into the ground, he is also talking about his disciples. He is speaking on these two different levels. So what does this mean? Jesus is also telling his disciples that they need to die. This seems really counterintuitive and paradoxical, kind of like this whole idea of gardening that I talked about. If Jesus was starting the revolution that everyone thought the Messiah was going to, it seems more likely that he should have given his followers this list of things to accomplish or ranks to ascend. But Jesus wasn't going for revolution. He was about transformation. However, I think sometimes we can fall into thinking about discipleship as this, all the things that we need to do or not do. How often does someone come to Christ or exhibit spiritual interest and we start rattling off this laundry list of things that they need to either start doing or stop doing? Don't swear, don't sleep around, don't get drunk, have this certain view on this hot button issue. 
And while these are important byproducts of a life surrendered to Christ and discipleship, how often do we become consumed by this list of do's and don'ts that we forget Jesus' words and the key to discipleship? Die. Verse 24 It says, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. We will not be transformed if we don't die to ourselves. Transformation is what happens when the seed goes into the ground, but it does not happen unless it dies first. This death leads to the transformation. And this transformation is what leads us to thinking about discipleship as more than simply a list of do's and don'ts. In order to be a true disciple, don't do more, die more. When we die to ourselves, obedience and spiritual fruit will be produced. But death has to come before the harvest. Death first, then obedience. When we try to obey first, we are not going to be very successful for very long. When we try to obey without dying, that's when Christianity becomes a list of do's and don'ts. We end up with all of the rules and none of the power, the Holy Spirit, to actually obey. This means that we end up doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. There's no transformation and there's no true discipleship. This is what we saw the Pharisees doing, right? They did all of the right things. They kept the law to a T, but their hearts were still so far from God. I experienced something similar to this about six years ago when I was helping run a Christian gap year program. So for almost a year, myself and two male coworkers took six 18-year-old boys and we put them in a van and we traveled around the country taking them on wilderness trips and missions trips. How I ended up the only female staff member living out of van and sleeping in church basements with all these guys is a different story for a different day. But on our very first missions trip, we were in rural Montana and we were tasked with tearing down a rotting deck and replacing it for an elderly man in the community. So we'd been working on the deck for several days and when we were starting to reach our deadline, we really started to feel the time crunch. As the deadline got closer, we started to increasingly get short and rude with each other and we're tempted to start cutting corners on the project itself. So at the end of a particularly bad attitude day, we had the option to extend our workday further and try and get a little farther ahead, or we could call it quits for the night. Because this was a leadership development trip, we asked the boys what they thought we should do. However, we already knew they wanted to just keep working no matter how much they hated each other by the end of it. So as they weighed the options, we asked another question. If we kept going the way we were going, would we be glorifying God? 
This was not a popular question to ask. I thought they were gonna mutiny right then and there. But as they wrestled and fought with each other about what we should do, they decided that they would quit for the day and spend the evening allowing the Lord to get their attitudes back in check. When these guys decided to put aside their, de their desires and they decided that the heart with which they served was more important than just getting the job done, that was them growing in their discipleship and dying to themselves. True discipleship and serving God comes from a heart that has died to itself, its desires and its interests. That day, we did not need to do more. We needed to die more so that our actions were actually glorifying to the Lord. But this is really, really hard, isn't it? Even when I know that I need to die to myself, sometimes I try and just grit my teeth and do it on my own. And then I fail. Because human earthly reasoning is this. Why should I give up my life? Why should I die for someone else's gain? We love stories of altruism and people giving selflessly to others. And maybe we can do some things sometimes in our own strength. But when it comes down to it, those selfless looking things that I do when I haven't truly died to myself, ultimately they're still things that I am at a level comfortable giving up. Sure, I'm not doing X, Y, or Z, and I can serve an hour or two here and there. I can do the right thing, but the things that truly cause me to die to myself, to give up what I want and care about, that is not happening in my own strength. I am learning that this is the difference between being an aunt and being a mom. So I'm not married and I don't have kids, but I have a one and a half year old niece. So over Memorial Day weekend, I got to spend time with my brother and his family. And I had a great time chasing my niece around, playing, of course, bringing her presents because I'm the fun aunt. However, as soon as the diaper was full or my patience had worn thin, back to her parents she went. I kept looking at my sister-in-law thinking, would I really want to do that in the future? I can do the things as an aunt. I can play with my niece. I can keep her safe for a little while. I will maybe change a diaper. But when it comes down to it, my brother and sister-in-law are the ones that truly have to die to themselves, to care for her when they can't just hand the kid off to somebody else. Are you an aunt disciple or a mom or dad disciple? The truth is we do not have the power to die to ourselves by ourselves. This is where the two levels that Jesus is speaking on in this parable start to mesh together. The truth about Jesus and the truth about his followers. Jesus is not asking of us anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. 
And it's his death and resurrection that empower our death and transformation. Jesus is offering us something radical, himself, so that we are able to offer something radical in return, our lives. Jesus' work and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is is what allows us to begin dying to ourselves, laying down our lives, and stop loving them so much. Verse 25 says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If you love your life to the point that you're not willing to lay it down, you are going to lose it. As Leon Morris puts it again, John means us to understand that loving the life is a self-defeating process. It destroys the very life it seeks to retain. This is the opposite of the gardening paradox, right? Logic would say, don't put that thing you love into the ground to die. Keep it, preserve it. But do you know what happens then? The seed just stays a seed. Nobody buys a packet of seeds because they just love seeds. They buy a packet of seeds because they want something more from it. The point of the seed is not the seed in and of itself. The point of a true disciple's life is not their life in and of itself. It's about what the Holy Spirit can do through them when they choose to die to themselves. Don't do more, die more. I die and the Holy Spirit starts doing and moving through me. But I don't think that we just stop loving our lives. That is not a strong enough motivation to enable us to die. We have to replace that love of life with a love of something greater, him. Why are my brother and sister-in-law able to die and serve my niece in a way that I can't? Because they love her more and differently than I can as just the fun aunt. We can do this through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ's death enabling our death. We replace the love of our own life with a love for Christ because his love for us is what caused him to lay down his life for us. Again, this is where the two truths of that parable begin to mesh. Love for God and laying down our lives is what turns that measly seed into a harvest that glorifies God. This was Jesus' objective as well. Verses 27 through 28 say, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. 
If you're struggling with this idea of laying down your life, know that you are not alone. Jesus was also troubled by the task, but he knew that he had come for a greater purpose and he had something better in mind, his father's glory. And why could Jesus be consumed with his father's glory despite high personal cost to himself? It's because he loved him. When we love God because of his love for us, we are then empowered to lay down our lives and seek his glory rather than to preserve our own lives and seek our own agendas. But this is a really strange concept, isn't it? It goes against every fiber of our natural being. So what does this look like on a practical level? Let's start by looking at a list of some of the things that might keep us loving our lives rather than laying them down. This is not an exhaustive list, um, and they are listed in your bulletin. But one of the first things I think that keeps us from laying down our lives is pride. I think that I am better than the person that I am called to be serving, or I start to ask, why aren't they helping themselves? Or why should I be the one that has to do this? I think sometimes it's a desire to be right. My way is the best way. My way of thinking about this thing is the only way to think about it. I start to question and ask, how will this person ever know that they're wrong if I serve them? I think a third is prestige. I don't wanna humble myself, look silly, look weak. I don't wanna have to give in an uncomfortable way. I wanna do the cool thing rather than the thing that actually needs to be done. I think a fourth is fear. Sometimes I'm afraid of losing something that I really care about or a perk that I kinda really enjoy. I'm afraid the cost is gonna be too high. And a fifth, I think, is distraction. Sometimes I get so absorbed in my life, my job, my hobbies, my relationships, whatever I wanna do, that I forget to even look up and it doesn't dawn on me the ways that I need to die to myself and serve. When I'm consumed by these things, it's probably a pretty good indicator that I am focused on myself and my life rather than dying. And you know what's at the heart of all of these things? It's selfishness. At the end of the day, I do what I want to do. And it is the complete opposite of dying to myself. So when I thought about what it means not to do more, but to die more, I started to think about a bucket list. We all know a bucket list is literally the things that I wanna do, savor, enjoy, experience, love about my life before I want to die. But as followers of Christ, we are called to do the exact opposite. We are called to have an anti-bucket list. How much can I lay down? 
How can I pour out my life for the sake of the Lord in order that I can find true life in him? Of that list of things that I mentioned, what might be stopping you from laying down your life? Is there one of those things that I mentioned maybe struck a chord or made you squirm a little bit? They're listed in your bulletin. I would challenge you, maybe even circle the one that challenges you the most. What is your line that you will not cross when it comes to serving or dying to yourself? What is the difference for you between being an aunt or uncle disciple and a parent disciple? What might it look like for the Holy Spirit to flood into that area of your life so that you can stop being just a measly seed and instead allow the Lord to produce a harvest of righteousness and kingdom fruit in your life? I want to suggest one practical but poignant way to start. It is to pray. First, pray is a way to lay down your pride and give up control. Submit to God's plan and realize that he's the one that produces a harvest, not my list of do's and don'ts. The second is to pray for your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you, the people you avoid, the people that you do not want to see blessed. And don't just pray about them in a Lord change them kind of way. Legitimately pray for them. Third, pray as a way to increase your love for and intimacy with God. This is what we see Jesus doing in verses 27 and 28. Now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. In these verses, Jesus is turning, to the, is turning to the Father in prayer and submitting his will and life for the sake of God's glory and plan. And then he laid down his life. Pray and submit to the Lord and then lay down your life in whatever way he might be calling you to. This could be the big lay down your life, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and allow him to lead your life. Or this could be the daily lay down your life. Do as he asks and glorify him in the ins and outs of your day. There's a quote that I once read that I can't find the source to, so if you know it and write it in your bulletin, you get 10 million bonus points. But this quote essentially says, dying once is easy. It is a one-time decision and there's the glory of martyrdom, done. But dying to yourself every single day is where true discipleship is found. It is not glamorous, it's submitting to his will even in the nitty gritty mundane parts of life. It's being the mom versus being the fun aunt. 
Now, this is a really hard message, right? So, you want to be a disciple? Great, die. But this is also a hopeful message because verses 25 and 26 also have a promise. Anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. This is why we're in a sermon series called The Life, and I'm literally telling you today to die. Because true life, abundant life, is found in Christ and by laying your life down and living in him, his way. Yeah, we are called to die, to go into the ground like that seed, but we're being promised something even better. By being a true disciple, we are promised eternal life that will be with Jesus and will be honored by the Father. The cost is great, I am not denying that. But the reward is greater when we begin to realize the great, great love he has for us. So we're gonna sing one last song that literally has the lyrics, I lay my whole life down before you. I wanna challenge you to let this song be your prayer. Take a moment to pause, sit down if you need to, look through those prayer prompts in your bulletin, but I would challenge you to confess and give over to the Lord whatever might be keeping you from fully dying to yourself and living for him.
collecting a benevolent offering like Pastor Jeff talked about in his video. So this is gonna go to other converged churches in our denomination to help support and encourage pastors. Those are gonna be collected in the buckets on your way out. If you have a regular tithe and offering, you can put those in the mounted um, boxes on the wall. Also, our frontline prayer ministry, that's anyone with an, a gold lanyard, is gonna be up front and ready to pray for anyone who needs it. So if you want prayer for anything, or if you have any questions about that, what that first level of the parable was talking about, what Jesus's sacrifice could mean for you, they would also love to talk about that with you. Now may the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of Jesus Christ empower you to live as a true disciple to the glory of God the Father. Go in peace.